Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. This gathering, we are going to be hearing now from Psalm 22. It's a psalm that the first few words you may recognize as being words that Jesus himself said on the cross. And as we hear these words, to let ourselves hear them being said by Jesus himself there on the cross on that first Good Friday. Please join me in prayer as we prepare ourselves to, to hear the word. Lord Jesus, you, in some of the last words you said before your death on the cross, you, you said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all the more in, in this time, there's maybe more of us that can identify with, with parts of that more strongly than at other points in in our lives open our hearts our minds to you holy spirit make these living words for us that we can hear them anew as we gather here together in jesus name amen a reading from Psalm 22, the first 21 verses, a song of lament and deliverance. On the cross, Jesus himself cried out the words of verse one. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They rescued and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me, because distress is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan, encircle me. They open their mouths against me. 
lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of the death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look at and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots from my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. The word of the Lord. What are we to do with these words of Psalm 22? Judith just read them, and we heard them, but what we do with them is not actually at all clear. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, in the context of talking about Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified, those are, in fact, the words that Jesus said on the cross, among a handful of others. And so on Good Friday, speaking of the cross and crucifixion, it may seem obvious what we're supposed to do with Psalm 22, but may I suggest it is not at all obvious. It's easy to forget in the Hebrew Bible that they didn't have chapter markings and verse markings. The way you would refer to a chapter or a verse, or indeed an entire book of the Bible, is to refer to the first few words of that particular unit. And so, for example, uh, what we know as the book of Genesis, which comes from a Greek word meaning beginnings, in the Hebrew Bible, that book is referred to as Barashit, in the beginning which is the first word of the book in Hebrew. We refer to the second book of the Bible as the book of Exodus, a Greek word meaning the, the leaving or the going out. But in Hebrew, that book doesn't actually have a word meaning you know, leaving or the way out. It refers to Exodus as va'alah shemot. These are the names. B'nai Yisrael. These are the names of the sons of Israel. The first few words of the book of Exodus become the title for the book of Exodus. And so on the cross, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is both a genuine experience that he is naming at that point, but he is also essentially giving a chapter and book reference for a particular piece of scripture that he is now living out. I think I was in high school or college when I first discovered the drawings of M.C. Escher. And what I love about them is that at first glance, they can seem completely just like a, a sketch. Here's some people in a building with some mountains. But the closer you look at it, the odder it gets. And much the same thing is true with Psalm 22. So let's put down the strange artwork and pick up the strange scripture. 
And it's strange because this is a Psalm of David, and we know all kinds of things about David's life, maybe more about David than any other person from antiquity. Most of 1 Samuel, all of 2 Samuel, part of 1 Kings are all about David. <laughs> the story is reprised in 1 Chronicles. There are other bits and pieces throughout the Old Testament about him and his ancestors. And of course, a number of the Psalms are written by David. We know a lot about his life. And at no point did anything like this happen. To be publicly humiliated by people who are standing around and jeering and gloating, that's, that's possible. He had a rough start in life. You can go back to 1 Samuel and read it. But at no point was he dying of thirst. We read in Psalm 22, his, his tongue is sticking to the roof of his mouth. He's been going without water for quite some time because of the opposition of his enemies. He's so emaciated that he can count all of his bones. But notice this is happening in public. And Psalm 22 describes him as if he's being tortured. And I say tortured because it literally says his joints have been pulled apart. And the clincher that this is public torture and indeed execution is that he talks about in Psalm 22, in the mouth of David, that his clothes, they, they cast lots for my clothing and they've pierced my hands and my feet. In the torture leading up to the execution, they have stripped him naked and the executioners get the clothing. And that's what would happen in the ancient world. But not only was this something that simply never happened to David, it's, it's, there are pieces of this that are out of character. We do see in here, the, the, as Derek Kidner would put it, the warm affection of David. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That familiarity and the pleading with God. And yet, in his relationship with his executioners, David is remarkably submissive here. David didn't take anything lying down in his life, and yet here he does. One gets the sense that he is not just helpless, but in some sense chooses to be so and looks to God for his salvation. But the most inexplicable part of this entire psalm comes when you hear the rest of it. A reading of selected verses from the rest of Psalm 22, beginning with verse 21. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. 
even before the one who could not preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to all the people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Did you hear that radical shift in perspective here? We go right from everything is falling apart, pierced hands, feet, pulled apart, to you have, past tense, saved me. And not just you, God, have saved me, but now all generations will rise up and praise God because he has saved me. The, the poor will come and worship. The, the rich, verse 29, will come and worship. But notice the poor come first. But everyone, even those who go down to the dust, even those who themselves die, will we'll somehow rise up in praise and rejoicing to God because this one who could not keep himself alive has been saved. In other words, the death actually happened and then God rescued and now everything is set for eternity. And I have no idea how the people who would have sung this in the temple would have understood it. But I do know how the writers of the New Testament understood it. The gospel writers again and again use words from Psalm 22 to describe what's happening to Jesus. Using the words from Psalm 22 that could not possibly have happened to David so far as we know, but did happen to Jesus. And stating as Peter did in the book of Acts, David being a prophet foresaw what would happen to the Messiah. And indeed in the book of Hebrews, for instance, Part of this triumphant ending of Psalm 22 is actually in the mouth of Jesus. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father, we, write, we read here. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call all of us sisters and brothers. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. That's coming from Psalm 22. And because it's not just the New Testament writers reaching back to Psalm 22 to describe what's going on for Jesus, but the fact that Jesus takes these words upon his own lips from verse 1, let's dig in to see not just what's happening that we could see and, and hear in the crucifixion on Good Friday, but to let these words from Psalm 22 open up to us what's going on for Jesus internally and then what it means for us. The fact that Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It can sound like Jesus is giving up. He's abandoned and he is. The Father has turned his face away for the first time in eternity past and eternity to come. For the first and only time, the Father has indeed turned his face away. Jesus, for the first time, feels a separation from the Father. We know how wrenching it can be when a relationship ends, whether it's all of a sudden or quietly over time, but the Father and the Son and the Spirit had been eternally united. And now for the first time, Jesus God the Son is experiencing separation from his Father and he doesn't cry out in excruciating pain from the physical affliction of the crucifixion. Up to this point, he has been 
remarkably composed given the wretched things he has gone through. It's when he now experiences a breaking in the relationship that he cries out, he screams out in abandonment. And yet he takes the name of God upon his lips. The name of covenant faithfulness. My God, my God, why have you, the God of loyalty, covenant, promise, faithfulness, why have you abandoned me? But not just some abstract confidence, uh, you know, covenant confidence, but also the language of intimate love. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And this is what we must see in what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, is that his infinite faithfulness, his absolute loyalty to the Father that was not shaken by anything, was met with the abandonment that we deserved. He, God, put himself in our place to take on himself all the brokenness and hurt and woundedness of the world, to take on himself the worst that we could throw at anyone, and to take on himself the rightful anger of God at our willful destruction of each other and the rest of creation. On himself, infinite faithfulness met with the breaking of an infinite relationship and intimacy so that we could have an infinite salvation. There are times, of course, where we feel like God has abandoned us, where we feel like we are utterly alone, where we cry out and it feels like God has left us alone too. But here's the good news that comes to us through the cross. Jesus has already experienced real abandonment by the Father in our place, so that anything that feels like God leaving us alone, when we cry out to him, it, it only feels that way, it only seems that way. Jesus took our place. Looking at what he was willing to do for us, how could we doubt that he would be willing to come to us right now to do all things to bring us back to him? Because indeed he already has and is working now to woo us and prepare a place for us. Back when Jonathan was, was quite little, I had the privilege of working actually part-time at uh, that particular pastorate, and so I got to spend all kinds of time with him when he was small. And so uh, on the days that I was home with him, we had routines. He got up, we did our breakfast, we'd go see some goats. There was a petting farm that was super fun. Uh, we'd come back, it was nap time. We'd wake up. And I knew that when he woke up from his morning nap, he was going to be rather hungry, uh, peckish, famished is actually probably the best word. 
And so he would wake up from his nap and he would be crying and wanting to be gotten out of his crib from upstairs, brought downstairs and, and eat lunch. And so one day I was, during his nap, getting lunch ready. And I had this thought. This is kind of what God's doing for us all the time. We're doing our own thing. I mean, Jonathan happened to be sleeping, but, you know, we're doing whatever it is that we're doing, and we're ignoring God. And we're in our own little world, and we assume that we have to somehow get God's attention because we're going to need things. But here I am. Jonathan's sleeping. He's not doing a thing for himself right now to get lunch ready. I'm doing that because I'm the dad. I'm setting out the plate. I'm getting the jars of food out or what, you know, whatever was going on that particular meal. And, but I know that he's going to wake up from his nap. He's going to be hungry. He's going to need the food that I'm preparing. <laughs> and sure enough, I, I hear him begin to stir upstairs begin to cry. And again, with this sort of, you know, like all babies, a certain degree of anxiety because they're hungry. <laughs> but with a big uh, joyful heart and a big smile on my face, I walked up the stairs and got him and brought him down to eat lunch. And I, I, I knew I couldn't explain any of this to him, of course. He was quite small. But it was a remarkable lesson for me that even when it feels like God isn't doing a thing. He's getting everything needful ready. And indeed already has. And that is what is true for us looking at Good Friday. Everything needful for us is, present tense, provided already. We are not alone. And, and see, when we're suffering, when we're in pain, on one level, we don't really need answers, right? We don't, we don't need specific reasons why this is happening. What we need is companionship. We need somebody who's with us in the middle of it. And that is Jesus. He's with us. The Spirit is with us. The Spirit to give us the things of Jesus, Jesus to bring us to the Father, being united in this eternal Trinitarian relationship, the life of God himself to be brought into him for eternity. Friends, whatever we're going through, we're not alone. David Watson's book on discipleship following Jesus was hugely influential for me when I was in college. And he had this to say about life with God in the midst of suffering, indeed, while he was dying of cancer. Someone once said to me, there cannot be a God of love because if there was and he looked upon the world, his heart would break. But the gospel points to the cross and says it did break. Someone once said to me, it's God who made the world. It's he who should bear the load. The gospel points to the cross and says... He did bear the load. God weeps with those who weep. He feels our pain and enters into our sorrows with his compassionate love. Anytime we're talking about the cross, we could go on for a very, very, very long time. Indeed, we will be reflecting on the wonders of what God has done for us for eternity. 
If you have questions, by all means, send them my way. Chat with other Christians, elders, just other people that you know. Keep the conversation going. This is not something that we will get through in a 16, 17-minute talk on YouTube and Facebook. But friends, my prayer is that for each of us to see Jesus on the cross and hear him lose his relationship with his Father in our place, that it would melt our hearts and reassure us that we are not alone. Whatever it is we feel, whatever it is we are going through, he loves us. He's with us. And he will hold on to us and keep us with him. Praise be to God.